Would you please stand for the reading of God's beautiful word? Thank you so much for coming today, this special, special mm. Christmas Eve. For those of you that gave to the blessing tree, yeah. um, thank you so much. Right. And then the delivery, there were two deliveries. There was so much stuff. I had to make two deliveries. And Good. yesterday was the second delivery. Find one of the people that went to that and see if they can tell you about it. Yeah. They may not be able to because they were so overwhelmed with joy yeah. and blessing those of you themselves. That, those of you that helped deliver and do the gifts, would you raise your hand? Let us see you. This is an amazing thing. It's, they went to a home for disabled adults, and they took scores and scores and scores of gifts from you. So thank you for that. Thank you for mentioning that, baby. Uh, Pete. Yes, go right ahead. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Good. All right. Okay, Ruthie, read to us. Okay, we have a disabled uh, adult grandson. Yes, we do. So that what is done for the people that were there was also done for the families. How precious it is when you, the church body, reaches and wraps your arms around them. Amen. Okay, beginning with verse 18 of chapter 1 in Matthew. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man. And he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, the angel said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, Amen. for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Would you pray with me, please? It's a story that never grows old, precious dear Father. Never. How sweet it is always each year to read these verses that take us back to this very time, the first Christmas. I loved it, Lord. Didn't you love it when a little child spoke from the back of the auditorium this morning? Didn't you love it, Lord, when even the little ones sang praise to you? Makes an old woman like me so happy. May we be, make you happy, Lord. May you be happy on this day. And we just want to say happy birthday, Jesus. We love you. And we'll never forget little Jesus the baby. That as you grew, your great love for us was shown over and over until finally it was immeasurable, un unspeakable almost. Your great love for us, we will not forget the cross. Happy birthday, dear one. 
We worship you. We give you praise. May we bring you glory. In your holy name I pray. Amen. 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 Wow. I love you, Dolly. Thank you. you. Precious. Precious. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Wise men in the east, these were religious men. They were men who were the priests and advisors to the king, the royal family of Persia. They had read the predictions that there would rise a king over here. And so they in the east saw a star in the west. And they started their trek a thousand miles from Persia, Iran now. Iran going right straight across in the direction of the star. The farthest you could go west before you stepped off into the Mediterranean Sea was Israel. So they followed the star a thousand miles, came to Jerusalem, the capital, went to the king, King Herod, and they asked where the new king was born. That stirred everybody up. And the king asked the religious leaders, and they brought out the scroll of Micah and said he'd be born in Bethlehem. So the wise men turned and went five miles south from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, by the way, I guess you maybe heard the news this morning. All Christmas decorations today were taken, have been taken down in Bethlehem because of the war in Gaza. That's sad, isn't it? Prince of Peace, and here we are celebrating his birth. And war has caused all the decorations in Bethlehem to be taken down today, this very day. So they went five miles. That's the distance from here right down to Highway 14, right in the middle of Nixa. They went five miles, and let's find out what happened. Let's go to verse 11. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. Entering the house, notice that house. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Let's stop right there. For ease of artistic expression, nativity scenes always have the magi standing with the shepherds at the manger. But our text tells us that the wise men did not come to the manger. They came to a house. We don't know how much later this was. The theory is that they came on a two-year trip because Herod later kills every child two years and under. But that's just a guess. We don't know how long it took, but they were not there when the baby is newborn. They did not arrive right at the moment they needed to. He had been, by this time, he was in a house. And it reminds us we don't know how long their trip actually took. Now, I want you to notice something. I want you to learn something right off the bat from these Persian astrologers. How do you know if you've had a successful day in pursuing the Lord? If you're trying to find the Lord, you know Him, you love Him, you serve Him, how do you know each day if it's been a good day? How do you know when your spiritual pilgrimage has reached its goal? These three wise men teach us, don't miss this, folks. We almost always measure the Christian life in light of deeds. What we do. We stop smoking, drinking, dancing, cussing, chewing tobacco, and running around with women who do. We have all these things, these rules, and I am a rule abider by. I keep rules. Rules are important. The law is important. But the deeds, the doing, that's not the ultimate proof 
that you've had a good day with the Lord. It's the evidence. It's the overflow. Here's men who came a thousand miles to be close to Jesus. And how do we know they were successful? They fell down and worshipped him. You have a good day. When at the end of the day, you are adoring him. You are worshiping him. You have submitted to him again. You've done the circle test. You know the circle test. You've pushed everything out of your life in your mind's eye. You've pushed everything out your spouse, your children, all your possessions in your mind's eye. You've pushed everything out. It's just you and Jesus. And you can say it is enough. Learn a lesson from three astrologers. Their trip was successful when they drew close to him. They worshipped him. They adored him. When I do my private time every day, one thing I'm always wanting, I go through all those lists of people I pray for. I pray for several of you in this room every day. I do all my praying. I go through my time. I read the whole Bible every year. I go through. I do it all praying that somewhere in there, there is that moment when I truly sense it's me and Jesus. Maybe for just a moment, it might not last long. But I'm not thinking about who I'm praying for. I'm not thinking about getting through what I'm doing. I'm not thinking about being a good person. The victory comes when it's Him. And I understand He's the reason for the pursuit, He's the reason for the journey. The wise men teach us. How do you know if you're successful when you're following Jesus? You're successful when you fall down, when you worship him in your heart. Now back to verse 11. Back to verse 11. After they came into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother. And falling to their knees, they worshiped him. Now the last half of verse 11. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and Myrrh. Now, it's Christmas Eve, and since it's Christmas Eve, it is okay for us to have a little fun, okay? I almost never tell jokes because I'm a terrible joke teller. When I do tell a joke, what do I do first? I always say, I'm getting ready to tell you a joke. Why do I do that? Thank you, so that you will laugh. Now, so I'm very rarely funny, or even when I try to be, that's, that's beside the point. The wise men came a thousand miles and they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. My wife has a dish towel that I'm going to read to you what the dish towel says. This is all in fun. Lean over to the person next to you and say, it's okay to have a little fun on Christmas Eve. We wouldn't do that. Thank you. I heard two of you do it. Thanks to both of you for doing that. Okay. All right. That's one of the great things about being an interim. You don't care. You're only here temporarily anyway. Okay. All right. Here we go. Ready? Here it is. This is my wife, from my wife. Three wise women. Right there we know we're in trouble. <laughs> would have asked directions, would have arrived on time, helped deliver the baby, cleaned the stables, made a casserole, brought practical gifts, and there would be peace on earth. 
I'm not going to say anything about that. I'm smarter than you think I am. But here's my guess. When my sweet Ruthie gets to heaven, there are three men going to be looking for her. All right? They're going to have something to say to Ruthie. All right. The first thing they taught us is, how do we know we found Jesus? When we just, it's, it just, it's everything. He's everything. You just Suddenly you're down before him in your heart. What's the second thing they teach us about getting close to Jesus? They give us another evidence of true devotion. They remind us that a heart yielded to Jesus wants to give gifts to him. In the East, no one ever entered the presence of a superior without a gift. Never, ever. Thus, the fact that these wise men come a thousand miles, that they give gifts to this baby, it is their way of saying, this one is greater than they are. One of the problems we have in the Christian community, and having been a, a preacher now 56 years, almost 57, it always hurts me how upset people get when we talk about tithing. I, 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 think, I think 10% of Christians tithe. That, that's criminal. But even more criminal is how upset people get when you preach about their possessions, or you preach about tithing. And one of the first things they'll yell at you is, that's Old Testament. You're wrong, folks. That's not true. Jesus told us to tithe. Matthew 23, 23. He's talking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And they would tithe on their herbs. They raised gardens. They would tithe on their herbs. But then they didn't care about justice and mercy, the greater things of the law. And Jesus got on them and said, listen, your tithing with all your herbs and all this tithing you do is not as important as justice and mercy. He said, you need to do justice and mercy, but you also need to keep tithing. Our master, and the only time he ever referred to it, just assumed, yeah, it's not the most important thing, but it is something that you will do. That you will give 10% of what you have to the Lord. Now, why it upsets me when people get upset about this is because if you love Jesus, like the Magi love Jesus if you love Jesus, you're not looking for loopholes to crawl through. If you love Jesus, you're looking for floodgates to give through. You're looking for ways to give. You're looking for opportunities. Timber says, just to start, you, you want to give him your life. You want to give him everything that you have. And I, I have... I've, uh, I will say to you, if you have trouble with tithing, my guess is you have trouble with other ways of demonstrating your love for Jesus. I just put that with you. I just give that to you. These men showed how much they loved Jesus by just the complete giving of themselves. And then they showed how much they loved Jesus by giving gifts. And folks, these were expensive gifts. Trust me. Many scholars believe this is how Joseph and Mary paid for their trip to Egypt. It was right here. They sold these things. That's how they lived in Egypt's land. The three gifts all have tremendous symbolism. They say something beyond themselves. The meaning of gold is obvious. As the king of metals in the ancient world, gold was the gift most appropriate for kings. When they brought that gold to the baby, they were saying, this baby is a king. We Americans have trouble with that concept. My favorite title for Jesus. You ready for this? My favorite title for Jesus 
is master. Now, there's a reason for that. The reason for that is because I know I'm a United States American. And in America, we value our freedom. We value our liberty. We value our independence. We value our individualism. You don't have to be from Texas to be the only one that likes being an individual and ruling your own roost. I mean, we, we all have got it in us. We all have this sense of we want to be our own boss. And we Westerners who promote freedom have a real problem with understanding Jesus as king. That he is to be obeyed. He is our boss. He is our master. And that's why I like the term. It reminds me, I am a slave. I am bought and I have been purchased by the precious blood of one who is my master. So they brought gold. Number two, they brought frankincense. Frankincense was the perfume that was used in the temple worship to make the animal sacrifices more pleasant. They softened the smell. Can you imagine what it smelled like in the temple complex when thousands of people are killing animals and offering and they're dying? So frankincense is what was used to pour on these sacrifices to make them smell better. In other words, the frankincense helped people approach God in the right way. This is what Jesus did for us. He became the way maker. He became the bridge builder. He's the one who, when he's dying, not far away in the temple complex, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There was a room in the temple, 30 by 30 by 30, that represented the presence of God. And only the high priest could go in there, and once a year he did this, what he had to do, and he got out of there as quick as he could. There was this one spot that this was the ultimate spot that symbolized the presence of God. And there was a huge veil in front of it. And Josephus, the famous Jewish historian, Josephus said if you put two wild horses on each end of the veil of the temple and you had them tear, they would not tear anything off of the veil. That's how thick it was. It was made to last forever. But the Bible tells us that when Jesus died, the veil of the temple tore from top to bottom, not bottom to top. Somebody didn't get a hold of it and tear it like this. No, from top 30 feet high to bottom. That veil that horses could not tear was ripped in two. The picture being, of course, that now we could come into the presence of God. But also the picture being that God was set free. There's not only one religion anymore. There's not only one temple anymore. There's, there's not just one spot. God is released to humanity. He brought God to us and he brought us to God. In other words, Jesus was our high priest. The frankincense had to do with offering sacrifice. He was our high priest. The Bible commanded the high priest never to tear a garment. It's really important. You've heard the song based on Ecclesiastes 3. There's a time to tear and a time to mend. When you were very sad as an Israelite, you would tear your garment. Like somebody died when you got the word, you'd tear your robe. 
But then after a time of grieving, you would sew it back up. In other words, there's a time to go on with life. There's a time to tear, and there's a time to mend. The high priest was forbidden ever to tear his garment. He's under control. Just like God is under control. He represents God. He pictures God. He's never wild with his emotions. And so the high priest was forbidden ever to tear his garment. But when Jesus was on trial, standing in front of the high priest Caiaphas, Caiaphas said, I adjure you. That was a term that meant you had to testify. You could not use the Fifth Amendment, so to speak. You had to answer. He said, I adjure thee. Are you the Christ, the Son of the living God? And Jesus said, yes, and you will see me in glory, and I shall come in glory. And Caiaphas, in a fit of fury, grabbed the high priest's garment, and he ripped it. He was so angry. He broke the law. He broke the Bible. He broke the command of God. A few hours later, Jesus is being crucified. And soldiers who did the crucifixion, they got to share anything that a prisoner had, anything that was left. And all that Jesus had was a robe. And so they started to cut that robe into pieces to give pieces, but they noticed that it was a beautiful robe with no seam. Some professional somewhere, some lady with great skill has started sewing this garment and kept going and kept going down the sleeves, down the side, down the back, and front, and there was no seam. And so the soldiers, without realizing it, made one of the most important statements in the history of the world. Caiaphas tore his garment, thereby actually saying that his priesthood was over. The robe of Jesus was not torn. It was kept whole, picturing We have a new priest. We have a new high priest. He's the one on the cross. And then just to prove it, just to make sure we got the message, just before Jesus died, he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. In other words, Jesus is the only human being who ever lived who controlled his life essence to the point that he could release it. He could have lived on a cross a thousand years had he wanted to. He could have called 10,000 angels, as the old song used to say. He could have called the angels. He could have. But just before he died, just to make sure that the whole world knows, he's not only the sacrifice, he's not only the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he's not only the blood sacrifice, he's also the priest. So before he dies... Jesus says, I do this. I give my life. As the priest, I make the sacrifice. So gold says he's king. Frankincense says he's going to be a high priest. Myrrh. Myrrh was a local anesthesia that was often given to a mother and child for postnatal care. But it was most famous as the perfume put on corpses to keep them from stinking. The Bible says that Nicodemus, the rich man, put myrrh on the body of Jesus. Even in his cradle, 
Jesus was being pictured as Savior, the one born to die in our place. The gifts preach to us. The gifts say Jesus is king. Jesus is high priest. Jesus is Savior. And that brings us to the picture that's in your bulletin. So if you'll take your bulletins now and open them, please. Open your bulletins and you're going to see the picture behind me on the screen if you don't have a bulletin. This is Holman Hunt's painting, The Shadow of Death. It's an extremely famous piece done about 1850, 1860, somewhere around in there. And it pictures Jesus as king, high priest, and savior. Now, you who are artists, may I have your attention for a commercial for 60 seconds? Are you a good writer? Why don't you try to take about one-tenth of all the writing you do and write good things about Jesus and find a place to put it? Are some of you good painters? Some of you good artists? Why don't you set aside a part of your life, just maybe a tenth. I'm just making up a number. We've been talking about tithing, so I thought I'd bring it back up. How about 10% just of all the artwork you do is something that, that pictures Jesus, pictures the Lord's work somehow. You who are artists, you have ways of getting to people's hearts. You go around old circuits. See, I'm a teacher. All I can do is hit a person's intellectual circuits. That's all I can do. But when you're an artist, you, you do an end run around the circuits. You catch a person by surprise, and you come around. And that's exactly what Holman Hunt does. Now, you've heard me preach a sermon already about Jesus being king, high priest, and savior. Now, look at this picture. This is king, priest, savior. First of all, he's king. Start at the top of the picture. Do you see the star of the Magi? In the upper right, this is Jesus at the end of a work day. He's tired. He's stretching. The sun is setting in the west. He's, he's stretching himself, just exercising his muscles. And you see what's happening. At the top, you have the star of the Magi, which is the king. They came to see the king. But notice the light, the light coming through the window behind his head makes a halo. He is king. For a priest, you look at his feet. You notice he's standing on that curled up piece of uh, wood at the bottom. See that down there? That wood shaving looks like the devil. It looks like he is a snake being crushed. That's how Jesus won our victory. He won our victory by defeating the snake of the Garden of Eden. And how did he win the victory? Now go just near to the left foot. You see the red headband? That's the blood. That picture is the blood that he's going to shed. So... You have king, the star of the magi, the halo around his head. You have priest crushing the evil one, the, the serpent, because he's going to shed his blood on the cross. And that comforts us. But now look at Mary. Mary completely misses king and priest. All she sees is Savior. She was rummaging through a chest. You see it there? But suddenly... She froze in place because she's petrified by the sign of the Savior. The shadow, you see the cross beam back there where the tools are on? She sees the cross. That's what the shadow is making. You're seeing pictured there 
what I've preached to you before, and I'm going to preach till I die. People don't go to heaven because they're good. People don't go to hell because they're bad. No. Jesus came and died on a cross for the sins of the world. He's the one who died for us in our place. And those who receive Jesus, they have a Savior, a Savior. They have one who saves them. Those who do not have Jesus have no payment for their sin. They have nothing to grant them entrance into heaven. And you see it pictured right there. He's our Savior. So you see the King, Priest, and Savior. One last thought. Do we really need this? <laughs> Do human beings really need a king to obey, a priest to make a way to God, and a savior to lift them from their sins to save them? Do we really need this? Well, look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 real quickly, and we'll be done. Look at verse 12. And after being warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Isn't it interesting? You have this wonderful verse, verse 11, teaches us how to love Jesus and serve Jesus and give to Jesus. And in verse 12, Matthew just brings us back to reality. Herod proved that, yes, human beings need help. In Jesus, you have what we were created to be. In Herod, you have what every one of us in this room is capable of being. Do you see the difference? I'm going to talk about that at 4 o'clock today. Do you see the difference? In Jesus, we have what we were first created to be, what Adam and Eve were created to be. In Herod, you see what every human being is capable of. And on this spectrum is where we live. And the only way we draw closer to this spectrum than that end of the spectrum is Jesus has come. We need a king to obey. We need to know how to live. We need to know what to do. The king commands us. So we turn that way. Then we need a priest, the one who offers sacrifice, the one who makes a way for us, who tears the veil, who says, even though you are sinners, you can come. And then we need a savior. We need somebody to shed blood for us so that it's not our blood. We need somebody to drink our cup of damnation dry. We need somebody to take our hell into his body so that our bodies don't have to go to hell. Yes, we need a king, we need a priest, and we need a savior. And Jesus is all three. Somebody say amen. 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 And there might be somebody here right now who needs to know Jesus. And we'd like to know him right now. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Put all your notes away. Put your Bibles away. Put yourself in your favorite position of prayer. And Christians, you pray. If there's someone here who does not know Jesus, you pray that in these next few seconds they might come to know him. If you do not know, if you do not know Christ, how, 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 how could you not? We Christians certainly fail, but our Savior never fails. And maybe today you'd like to know him. And if so, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. Now, this prayer doesn't save you. There's no magic in it. But it does allow you to focus. It allows you to put your attention on him. It allows you to call out to him. And that, that's what you're wanting to do is just say, Jesus, I, I'm sorry, and I want you to save me. If that's coming from your heart, then it's good. 
So if this heart's, if this message, if this prayer says what your heart is truly feeling, I'm going to ask you to repeat it silently as I pray it out loud. Here it is. Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come live in my heart. I receive you as the master of my life. Amen.